From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke, and today we are visiting with Bonnie Cooper. She is World Dairy Expo's 2023 International Person of the Year. Bonnie hails from North York, Ontario, Canada, but that hasn't always been your home, Bonnie. Maybe we could start by share with us your beginnings in the registered Holstein business. Hi, Lisa. I grew up on a dairy farm near DeForest, Wisconsin. It's called Moss Oak Farm. And it's been in the family on my mother's side for over 100 years now. We celebrated a century farm in 2017. I grew up on the farm. I was the oldest of six kids. My parents, Morris and Geraldine Cooper, had a registered Holstein herd. And we showed, we're very active in 4-H. I was also on the junior Holstein committee, very involved in the farm. We were a family farm. And I know you were an active participant on the farm. You mentioned being involved with the Holstein Association and 4-H. You experienced some successes early on in the show ring. That had to kind of be exciting for not just you, but I know your mom and dad were proud to see you following with that love of the registered Holstein cow. Yes, I had an animal in 1969, uh, Moss Oak Triumph Trudy, who was junior All-American two-year-old. That was a great success and honor for us. And we showed Trudy at the very first World Dairy Expo in 1967 and 68. And then in 69, she also showed. Our family has a very long affiliation with World Dairy Expo as well. My father was on the board of directors. I have other family members who have been board members or helped with the shows or helped with the uh, tours. So World Dairy Expo has been a big part of our family as well. Besides showing success, as a member of the Junior Holstein Association, you were the Wisconsin Holstein girl. Tell us about that and who you shared that honor with. Yes, I was Wisconsin Holstein girl in 1969, and Roy Hetz from Crescent Beauty Farms was the Holstein boy. And our two families, Roy's father and my father, were dear friends from their 4-H days, and the family has continued to be dear friends of ours throughout our lives. They've just been a big part of who Moss Oak Farms were. My father used a lot of Crescent Beauty bloodlines in breeding programs, and they've been a big part of our success as well, too. I think it's really interesting how many crisscrosses your family has with World Dairy Expo. And when you got to the age where you were starting to decide what your career path was going to be, Bonnie, you decided to go to college at UW-Madison. Tell us about that decision. What made you decide to go to UW-Madison? I'm not really sure why I ended up at the UW-Madison. I did look at River Falls, but we came and toured the campus and I met a couple of the girls. Peggy Schneider Deluge was one of those that took me around campus and showed me the school. I think I was quite intrigued by the fact that back in those times, it wasn't the thing for a girl to go back to the family farm. And it wasn't encouraged to go into dairy science, but there was a major called agriculture journalism. And it was kind of unique at the time. People were saying, this is a way as a woman to stay involved in the industry and to do what you love. And Madison had that program. And so I think that's probably why I ended up enrolling at the University of Wisconsin. And even though our farm was like five minutes from the state capitol, my parents were very good in saying, we want you to get the full campus experience. I lived in a dormitory and then an apartment with friends for all four years of school. And so I was able to take part 
in campus activities. It wasn't a case where I was having to commute from home and stuff. I really had that full college experience. And I'm really glad I did. The University of Wisconsin, I loved it. I felt at home there. It, being in the agriculture school was very special. I finally felt like I was surrounded by people that had the same interests as I did. Because when I was in high school, you know, I still loved agriculture and Holsteins and cows. And there weren't people around me, even though I lived in a kind of a rural area. They didn't have the same passion. Going to the UW, it was like coming home because people in the ag school, we all had the same uh, things that we loved. And it was great. Multiple times in your your nomination for International Person of the Year, you were referenced as a trailblazer. So when you entered college, tell us about what the campus was like at that time. Because I had such a great love for dairy science, when I was a sophomore, I went to the chairman of the department to ask if I could transfer into the dairy science department. His comment to me was, I don't think that's a good move. Why don't you go talk to the home ec department? I was devastated. I was just so disappointed. I did go talk to the home ec department, but I did not transfer there. I stayed in ag journalism and I took a lot of dairy science classes, which I will be forever grateful for because I've met a lot of people who I continue to know and network with in the industry. The other thing I might say, because of my interest in dairy science, I was also amongst the founding members of the Badger Dairy Club. And I was also co-editor with Marsha Bean Baird on their first yearbook that they did in 1972-73. I'm always quite proud of that as well. This, the Badger Dairy Club was very near and dear to my heart. And I, while I don't remember having to do Nightline or, or picking up uh, manure in the show rings, I do remember making uh, grilled cheese sandwiches in, in the booth. So, so that was a great experience. I, I loved my days at the University of Wisconsin. They were great. You definitely made friendships and paved your way to a career in ag journalism while on campus. And you told us a little bit about what the ag campus was like in the 70s. What made you think about going into the publishing business at that time? Describe what what the publications were that you might have been considering working for in the 70s when you were approaching graduation. Back then, everybody sent resumes to everything. I had a couple of interviews. And it was through the Holstein world that I found out about the job at the Holstein Journal in Canada. I wrote to the world and they said, sorry, we don't have any openings, but we know there's a gentleman retiring in Canada and perhaps you would like to write up to them. And that's how I found out about the Canadian Holstein Journal job. What did your family say when you told them you were considering crossing the border and working in Canada? I think they were surprised. I mean, we really didn't know very much about Canada. We were in the Midwest. And by and large, I'd say most Americans don't know a lot about Canada. They were thrilled that I was working for a breed magazine, but it was a big step. I knew no one in Canada. Well, I knew a couple people that I'd gone to school with, but I knew no one in Canada when I moved here, basically. So it was, it was scary. It was frightening. I wasn't sure I was going to stay very long, but I did. I moved to Canada in 1973, and I'll be marking 50 years this year of being in Canada. So you've lived more years in Canada than you did here in the States. But Bonnie, was that your first trip to Canada to interview for that job? No, it's quite ironic. The day I got the letter from the Holstein Journal saying they'd like me to come up for an interview, I was leaving on a University of Wisconsin trip arranged by Dr. David Wickert from the Dairy Science Department. He always took a class up to Canada to tour farms. 
the same day I get the letter from the journal, I'm getting in a car to drive to Canada and look at farms. It was quite ironic. <laughs> so I got a, a bird's eye view of some of the top herds in Canada. And then a couple of weeks later, flew up for my interview. But that was the first time I'd ever been in Canada. Bonnie, do you recall which herds Dr. Wickert toured? I know Glenn Afton for sure was on the list. Roybrook. Those two stick out in particular that I remember going to. What a segue into a 45-year career. So you get to this interview. You've now returned to Canada. And I have to ask, things have obviously changed with credentials at the border. Did you have to have a passport to make that trip as a college student? Or at that time, did we freely cross the border into Canada? When we were just on that school trip, I don't even know that we needed a passport at that point. You just came across. When I came to work for the journal, I came as a landed immigrant. And the journal had to prove to the Canadian government that no one else in Canada could fill the job. And I also know that uh, Hugh Colson, who was the editor of the journal, was great friends with Senator Harry Hayes, who at one time was the Minister of Agriculture in Canada. And I've always been told that Harry Hayes perhaps had a bit of political pressure and uh, expediated my landed immigrant application because it was supposed to take three to six months to get approved. I think I got approved in eight weeks. I remained a landed immigrant until 1994 when I took out my citizenship in Canada. So Bonnie, no pressure there. They've told you that they have to prove that no one else in Canada can do your job. You're this recently graduated college kid from DeForest, Wisconsin. Tell us about what type of responsibilities you assumed in that new role as associate editor of the Holstein Journal Canada. I think what really intrigued them when they, because when I walked in for the interview, I think what intrigued Hugh Colson about me was the fact that I had a dairy background and I had an agriculture journalism degree. There was nothing like that available in Canada. So I had that writing experience. So when I started, the journal wrote a lot of, of uh, stories about the production achievements of cows. So that was my first job. I would write about the big producers and longtime producers. I did a lot of that. You'd write on the shows and the sales and then you started going out and doing herd visits. Also, one of my jobs was to attend Holstein Canada committee and board meetings. Holstein Journal was founded in 1938, and they were the official magazine of Holstein Canada. And as part of their role with that, a member of the journal team would go and cover all the committee and board meetings and write stories on this and put them in the journal. And that became part of my role as, as well in later years. Well, honestly, after 45 years, the whole association and the breed has to be appreciative of how you have chronicled everything that's been important that's happened in the industry. So you're starting out in this position. What were some of the challenges that you met there? First off, not knowing anyone, that was hard. I was a woman, but I would say I was accepted extremely well by everyone. Women talk about uh, running into difficulties. I never encountered that. I think Holstein people are just so down to earth. They're used to having the wife be very much a part of the business. And while I can remember when I was going out to do farm interviews, while the wife perhaps wouldn't sit at the table to do the interview in the 70s and 80s, now when you go to do interviews, the wife is very much a part of it. And so I was very well accepted when I got up there. There really were no real huge challenges. You, you just did your job. 
you did your job. Your office was located in downtown Toronto. That's a far cry from the rural byways of DeForest, Wisconsin. Talk about maybe navigating the big city and finding your first home downtown. Yes, our office was right downtown Toronto. I lived in the north end of the city, took the subway down. That was quite different for me. I had one of the ladies that worked at the journal help me find my very first apartment. She took a day off from work and took me around to different places and I found an apartment. It was pretty scary, pretty overwhelming. I'd never been in any place quite that large, but you know, over the years you you come to appreciate it and the city of Toronto has a lot of things to offer culturally and for entertainment and sports and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it's been great that way. It's not a rural setting by any means, and I, it's probably pretty strange when people think that the Holstein Journal was in downtown Toronto. Over the years, we've moved several times, <laughs> and we eventually uh, ended up in an office north of the city, but we were still very much in the greater Toronto area. You were promoted just two years after you started, Bonnie. You were cutting your teeth there, but that's pretty remarkable to just after two years step up to being not just the associate editor, now you are the editor of the Holstein Journal. At that point, Hugh Colson wanted to retire and wanted to just focus on the publishing end of the business. So he made me the editor. The journal, we always worked as a team. The editor perhaps wasn't quite the same as an editor in some of the other magazines that you read about or you look at. We were a team. We worked together. And that's kind of how it always was. No one person stood out. I didn't own the magazine. I was an employee. But we just worked hard and worked together as a team. You mentioned that the U.S. tends not to know as much about our neighbors to the north as we ought to. I am just very curious. When you arrived there, Bonnie, Tell us about your first impressions. You're new on the Canadian soil, and you can't help but be comparing and contrasting what you know about your Wisconsin Holstein business. Now, what are your first impressions of the Canadian registered Holstein business? I was quite impressed by the Canadian Holsteins. The animals are exceptional. They were known for their exceptional type. The export markets that the Canadians enjoyed was just amazing. You had to be impressed by the cattle, the people, their passion for the industry. I was so happy that I was able to share their story and help promote Canadian genetics to the world through the Holstein Journal. That was part of our mandate to share the story and share things about the genetics. And we did that. We had a beautiful product to promote and it was great. And you did do that, Bonnie. I have to say, being from the dairy industry here in Wisconsin, our family subscribed to the Holstein Journal and we too admired the beautiful Canadian genetics. And I know that Barn L, back when World Dairy Expo was multiple buildings on the campus, a lot of people's first destination when they arrived on the grounds was to walk back to Barn L because that's where all the Canadian cattle were housed and we appreciated those big boxcar rumps and the massive frames of the Canadian dairy cattle. It's a friendly rivalry that was created. I remember too the state herds and how the Canadians took great pride too in schooling some of us U.S. showmen on what a state herd might look like. That's been a source of great pride for the Canadians, particularly Ontario. They're the ones that had the red shirts. And in the days when the state herds would come out and compete in the ring, we still talk about it. <laughs> they still talk about it, those red shirts from Ontario. And it was a great moment. And they Canadians love to show. They love to compete. They love coming to World Dairy Expo. It's a show they have to be at. They know they have to be at. 
because it's great for marketing and promotion, and they just love being there. When you returned to World Dairy Expo, you probably felt like the person that had to sit on the 50-yard line and have one foot in each team's camp. You were cheering for both exhibitors, I'm sure, north and south of the border. Tell us about some of the first friends you made when you arrived in Canada. Like you said, you arrived there and you didn't know the country, didn't know the people. You had a lot of getting acquainted to do. Who were some of the first friendships you made as a now Canadian? Outside of the journal staff, the very first person I met was Lowell Lindsay, who is a former international award winner. He came down to the office at the journal on a Saturday to look at a United Breeders insert that was going in the magazine. So he was really my first Canadian that I ever met. And Lowell's remained a dear friend forever. Ray Brubacher was someone I had met in the United States when he was working at Lakeside Farms and doing a lot of judging there. And then he had moved back to Canada prior to my coming here. And he and his family became great friends. I've made a lot of friends over the years. The Canadians have been very welcoming to me. They are my family. Since I don't have family here, the Canadians have become my family. And I have friends all across Canada because, as you mentioned, I did travel quite a bit. The magazine was based in Ontario. We would travel from PEI to Vancouver Island. I did a lot of traveling, particularly in Western Canada. That was kind of my area, and my assistant editor would travel in the Maritimes. Quebec was also a very important part because of the French language. I didn't travel there very often. I did go occasionally, but Quebec was also a very important part. And we also had a French section in our magazine as well. Did you ever learn to speak French yourself, Bonnie? No. I took Latin in high school. A lot of good that did me. (laughs) No, I never learned to speak French, but I did learn how to proofread it. I could usually figure out if something didn't look right later on. But I wish I had learned it. It would have come in handy. What was it like to return to World Dairy Expo the first time as a Canadian journalist? Felt very comfortable because I knew what was going on. It was exciting. It's like you said, your loyalties are kind of divided. And I can still remember many people saying to me, well, who are you cheering for, Bonnie? Who do you want? And in the beginning, I'm sure I was rooting more for the Americans than the Canadians, but that's all changed now. Canadians get my vote first. I'm happy for all of them. I was very privileged to be able to come back and cover the World Dairy Expo for the journal. And part of that started because the Canadian exhibitors were coming in such great numbers over the years. And so it, it was important that we be here and be a part of that. So I was happy to do that. Canadians have had great success at Expo, and so I had lots to write about. You sure did. Charity, probably one of the most celebrated Canadian champions of all time. And then Rainy Ridge, Tony Beauty, the list goes on and on. There have been such famous Canadian champions, and you had an opportunity, I'm sure, to visit those herds and write about them each time they took the banner home. Over the years, we did many stories on Hanover Hill Holsteins and Comstar Holsteins and the guys from Stanhope Wedgwood and a lot of those great herds that brought Jacobs, the Jacobs family in more recent years. And then, uh, it's been great to promote their success and share their story. You have had many wonderful stories to tell through the years. We talked about your trip back to Madison. What was it like to cover your first Royal Winter Fair? Had you ever been to the Royal Winter Fair prior to covering it as a journalist? No, I'd never been to the Royal Winter Fair, probably never even heard about it. But it was very inspiring. Back in 73, when I started, the press would sit on the side of the ring. They would not be like today. Most of your reporters are in the ring. They sit in there. But back then, the reporters were in a in a section alongside of the ring. And the judge would come over and give his reasons only to the reporters. 
he would not give the reasons over a microphone. So we were the only ones who would know why he placed the cattle the way they did, and then we would write our stories, and that's how people would find out. It was only within maybe three, four years after I came that that got changed, and then the, the judge would give his reasons over the mic in the middle of the royal ring. But initially, the reporters, some, someone from the Holstein world sat next to me. I think it, it was probably Whitey McCowan at that time. And we were the only ones that knew the reasons. That plus all the people that used to hang around behind us to listen into what the judge had to say. Well, that was an awesome responsibility. Did you learn to either write in shorthand or did you record those comments so that you could, could follow stories after? Back then you took notes and you come up with your own shorthand, some of which I learned when I was doing judging dairy cattle and as a 4-H member. In later years, then, I would tape the uh, Royal Reasons because it was such an important show. You kind of are segueing into the next question I wanted to ask. You have been in the publishing business for, as you said, it's going to be, well, 45 years with the journal, but longer than that, given your experience. Talk for a second, Bonnie, about the equipment and the changes that you've seen in technology during the course of your career. When I started at the journal, I started with a manual typewriter, and then we went to an electric typewriter. And when I first came to the journal, the magazine was still being done on letterpress, which is the heavy engravings. And right about the time I came in 73, they were switching to offset printing. And so we did that for a number of years. And then in 1987, we went to desktop publishing and computers. That changed things immensely. So you had a lot more control over what you wrote. And so there was a lot of changes that way. Also, when I first started, pictures. We had files and files of pictures in the office. And now in later years, everything comes digitally. And they're now on the computer. So that all changed. During the time I was there, you had to lay out the magazines and cut out the pictures and do the pages. And, and then you got to do it on a computer. And then send, when you were done at the end of the month and all the pages put together, my girl would push a button and send all the pages of the magazine out electronically to the printer. It, it's all changed, very much has changed. While they say, you know, it should be less work with a computer, I think actually it was more work because you have more control over things. And you edited every one of those pages, I'm sure too, each issue that went out. Was that your responsibility as well to? I was responsible for all the editorial pages and stuff to make sure they were okay. And uh, I didn't get, I, I didn't have to sell ads and I didn't have to do ads, but in later years, we would proofread ads. We did some of that as well. It's remarkable the changes that have transpired in the dairy industry, but the publishing industry has kept pace with every one of those changes. I've always said that I loved going to World Dairy Expo as a child because the people that were written about on those pages of the Holstein World, of the Holstein Journal, these people came to life for me. They stepped off the pages and they were at World Dairy Expo live and in person. Your publication brought those people into our family's kitchen and living room. That's where we got to know people in the business. It had to be a hard decision. The Holstein World and the Holstein Journal ceased to publish in recent history. Can you talk a little bit about the decisions that led up to, or the discussions that led up to that decision to cease publishing a publication that had, had served the industry for so many years? A lot of readers felt that they could do things on social media and Facebook and that kind of thing. And so it was harder to get advertising in a physical magazine. And there weren't as many sales happening. The business had changed a great deal. 
And we were seeing a loss of advertising revenue. And advertising revenue is what keeps the magazine alive. Peter English, who owned the magazine at the time, was in his 70s. I was approaching my 70s. We were going to have to retire. It uh, it just seemed that it was time. Uh, I think Peter did explore possibly selling the magazine, but nothing worked out in that favor. And it just reached a point that it was time to close it. The industry had changed. We just There just wasn't the advertising revenue that there had been. It was sad, but I think I used a phrase, you know, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And it was a, a great experience. And I think I, I know the Holstein Journal was very well respected and loved. It was just time. It was just our time. As much as the digital world may have led to the publication ceasing to be in print, by the same token, it's kept those pages alive worldwide. And Bonnie, I know we can search your byline and find stories that have been written through the years. What are some stories that really stand out during that 45-year history of writing about the people and the famous cows of Canada? I think some of the ones I really liked were some of the personality profiles we did in the latter years and interviewing people like Lowell Lindsay and Albert Cormier and John Walker of Walker Farms. Some of those were just very well received. I quite enjoyed those. Doing the Royal Winter Fair write-ups were always a thrill for me. I, I enjoyed doing those. And just the herd visits. I visited hundreds of farms and they were great. And writing about some of the great sales, writing about the Hanover Hill sale when Charity sold for over a million dollars or some of the convention sales or the Rocky Mountain High sales in Alberta. Those were all great, great events to be part of. And then to try to write about them and share the excitement with people that weren't there. That's, that's as a writer, that's what you try to do and, and try to bring those people to life and, and share who those people are and what that event was like for those that couldn't be there. It has to be rewarding to know that you've preserved those special moments in time and essentially preserved the legacies of those people that have given so much to an industry. I have to mention, too, I know you've served as the secretary of the Curtis Clark Achievement Award. And for World Dairy Expo listeners, that probably is the equivalent of our A.C. Whitey Thompson Award, would you say? I think we patterned it after the Klusendorf Award. And it was named in honor of Curtis Clark, a great leader and breeder, Holstein breeder from Alberta. Uh, when and the, the award was established by the Alberta Holstein branch, and when they decided to set it up, they asked different people from the industry to serve on the committee, and I was asked them, and I helped with their promotion and then became secretary of the committee. And each year they recognize someone at the Royal Winter Fair who exemplifies all the traits of a Curtis Clark winner, much like the Klusendorf. And uh, it, it recognizes some great breeders here in Canada. It's It's been my joy to work with them. They're my boys. I love working with them and they're a great bunch of guys. You've been party to those special recognitions. Are there any special awards or recognitions that have been presented to you through the years that are especially meaningful? In 2019, the Canadian Dairy Network and Lactonet presented me with the Dairy Cattle Improvement Industry Distinction Award, and I was the 11th recipient of that award and the first woman to ever be so honored, and it's an award given on behalf of the dairy cattle improvement industry, and that was a great honor. That same year, Peter English and I were also honored by Holstein Canada for our contributions to promoting the Holstein breed and for our years of work at the Journal, and those were certainly highlights. You made mention that you were a landed immigrant 
for many, many years in Canada. And in 1994, I believe you applied for citizenship. Is that correct? You are, in fact, dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada. What does that process entail? When I wanted to become a citizen, I had to apply for it. You had to take a written test at that time, and you were quizzed on your knowledge of the Canadian government, history, the responsibilities of being a citizen. And then there was a citizenship ceremony. At the time, I took Canadian citizenship. It was also very important to me that I retain my United States citizenship. And for many years, the United States did not recognize dual citizens. Finally, in the early 90s, they changed their rules about that, and they said, we do accept that a person can be a dual citizen. So that's when I went ahead and got my Canadian citizenship. The only thing that's given me is the right to vote. I could do everything else before that, but I guess I just felt it was important. I was living here. It just made it easier to go across the border with a Canadian passport or my U.S. passport. I have both. The United States government has allowed me to keep my United States citizenship, and I can still, I still have to file taxes in the United States and, or a, a tax report, and I can vote for presidential elections and, and whatnot. But I, I'm kind of proud of having both. It, it means a lot to me. You know, the United States is where I grew up, but Canada is now my home. When you watch the Olympics or take part in the Supreme Champion Ceremony at World Dairy Expo, your pride is swelling when you hear Oh Canada, just as when you hear the, the U.S. national anthem. Yep, I, I root for them both. I have two countries to root for. I won't say you've retired. You're still continuing to write. What are the stories that you'd still like to and are still telling? I've been very fortunate. When the journal closed, the first person that called me was Dave Selner, who was secretary of Dairy Shrine, and he asked if I would help him write some of the press releases on the award winners that year. I was taken aback. I was so thrilled that somebody wanted me <laughs> after uh, leaving the journal. So he was the first person I wrote for. And then since then, I have taken on writing assignments for CMEX the British Columbia Holstein News, the Ontario branch Link Magazine. I've done some things for Cosmopolitan, Holstein Canada, and I've done some projects for David Eastman, and I'm working on a project right now for WestGen, which is an AI company in British Columbia. And it's been great. I'm, I'm continuing to do a lot of herd visits for those people. BC Holstein News gets me writing about the Royal and their shows, and it's been great. It's allowed me to stay involved in the industry and keep me busy. And I've, been, I've loved it. It's been wonderful. We owe you such a debt of gratitude. We touched on it earlier in this conversation. The way that you've preserved history, you've done it for the Royal Winter Fair. You've done it for World Dairy Expo. I know you were a contributor to the pages of We Need a Show, the history of World Dairy Expo, the first 50 years. So I know you'll continue to capture those special moments. And in closing... We are so excited to have you return to your Wisconsin roots, to return to World Dairy Expo to be honored as our International Person of the Year 2023. You'll be sharing that stage with our Industry Person of the Year, Tom Morris, and I know the two of you have a history with one another, and you'll also be recognized with our Dairy Producer of the Year, Randy Cordes from Linden, Washington. For those of you who would like to honor Bonnie, Randy and Tom at this year's World Dairy Expo, they will be recognized at the Dinner with the Stars. That will be held on Wednesday evening, October 4th. 
Tickets will be available starting in July, and you can purchase them online at worlddairyexpo.com. Bonnie, we look forward to our prodigal daughter returning to Wisconsin in October. Thank you very much, Lisa. I look forward to being there too. I do want to share this award with the Canadian Holstein breeders and the dairy cattle improvement industry in Canada and the Holstein Association and my Holstein Journal team. I didn't do this alone. They supported me, encouraged me, allowed me to tell my stories, allowed me to tell their stories, I should say. This award is because of them. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 